Thursday, April 10th. Welcome to Market Fuller. I'm Chris Allen. Joining me in studio today from Fool.com, David Hanson, and from Motley Fool Funds, Tim Hanson. Happy Thursday, gents. Hey. Yo. First day of the Masters. You excited? No, uh, what am I saying? How excited <laughs> are you? <laughs> uh, I'll be more excited on Sunday. I can't, get, I can't get so amped for Thursday. And yet there are people in this. I don't know about where you sit. Uh, David, but mm-hmm. just around the corner from this studio, the TV is already on for the Masters. So, Motley Fool analysts, hard at work. I would say that the demographic <laughs> that overlaps with Masters watching and stock picking tends to uh, pretty strong. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, it is earnings season. We'll get into a couple of retailers reporting earnings. We will dip into the full mailbag, but let's start with the biggest hedge fund fight of 2014 so far, which ends not with a bang but a whimper eBay announced it has reached a settlement with billionaire investor Carl Icahn. Icahn is uh, putting an end to his demand that eBay spin off PayPal. He has withdrawn his bid for two seats on the board. And I guess they came to agreement, uh, Icahn and the the rest of the executives at eBay, around David Dorman, who is the former uh, CEO of AT&T. He's going to be a new director on on the board. How are you measuring the bi- – what, what leads you to call this the biggest hedge fund fight? How are you measuring the size of this kerfuffle? Uh, by media attention and the fact that it's barely mid-April. See, because I would, I would totally give the award to the Dan Loeb Sotheby's fight. Mm. Okay. Which is way more vindictive and, and has come out with, like, much cooler PowerPoint presentations. Let's – you know what? That's what you base it on. Put yeah. a pin in that. We'll get back to that in just a second. <laughs> on this one – Anytime there's a fight, you want to know who won, who lost. It seems on the surface like eBay won this one because Icon's going to presumably pick a new target because I can't imagine he's going to go very long without being in the media, pounding the table, making some sort of demand of a public company. Or am I wrong? Did did Icon win this? Or you know, what do you think? Mutual compromise. Everybody loses, everybody wins. That kind of seems like what happened here. I, if I was an eBay shareholder, which I'm not, I would be kind of happy that this sideshow is done. They need to be focusing on their business. I even saw the PayPal president was tweeting about this this morning. He should not be focused on Carl Icahn. He should be focused on the future of payments that's rapidly evolving. So if I was a shareholder, I'd be happy that this is kind of just in the past. I am a shareholder. I am happy that it's over. And although, your stock's up. Although it is. It is. Um, so although, congratulations. Nice work. Thank you. Take the day off. <laughs> Just going to go cast that thing in. <laughs> um, any thoughts on this, Tim? Um, you know, Icon, Icon has had a really remarkable run of success here. He really has. Uh, you know, this wasn't by far his most successful um, activist uh, 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 bent recently. But, I mean, you know, he only got 2% of the share. He only, I think he only owned 2% of the shares. Got a director on the board. I think the conversation around the PayPal divestiture will continue, according to like the press releases that went on today, but on in much much quieter terms. So, I think it's probably probably even probably a draw. Everybody's kind of happy to go about their own business. I think um, I actually think Icon is wrong about. I think there actually are sort of. It's important that PayPal be part of eBay, but whatever. I th- I agree with that, particularly in the short term. I could see a point, maybe three five years down the line, where it becomes where the opportunity for PayPal. And its growth becomes much larger, but for the moment, I, you know, as we said at the time when we first talked about this, this isn't a particularly new idea. Well, I think, I mean, no, it's not. Um, it's it, and just like the Yahoo Alibaba thing, the Dan Loeb success. I mean, that was just it finally took someone with enough, you know, money and and cojones to go out and really do it. But yeah. I mean, the idea had been floating around there for a long time. Um, 
Uh, it's just funny. Uh, the level of discourse in these things seems like it continues to deteriorate. And uh, We mentioned Sotheby's. I mean, that one's getting really nasty. Yeah, tell me about it. Uh, well, so uh, basically Dan Loeb has come out and said that Sotheby's is losing market share and that their CEO is dramatically overcompensated and you know he should get thrown out. Sotheby's for those who may not know may, auction, may, maybe the premier uh, yeah, brand either yeah, in well, auction houses. Sotheby's and Christie's, right? It's kind of a duopoly. Traditional is yeah, listed. Traditional auction house. Uh-huh. And um uh you know but Sotheby's came out firing with a PowerPoint presentation that basically said that you know Dan Loeb's an a-hole and here are all the things <laughs> here are all the things he hasn't done well in his career. Wow. Um, yeah, no, they they had a very I mean one year on the board, you know, got out. You know, Yahoo, they you know took shot at his Yahoo tender where Yahoo he sold his shares back to Yahoo. Like maybe Yahoo should have bought shares from everybody. So he's like, you know, they call him a very self interested shareholder, which he probably is, but you know that's neither here nor there. Um, but it's that is getting very, very, uh, very, very touchy over there. And I, that's why I think that's the biggest head. And there are funny powerpoints. Love's got Love's got good points in it too. I mean, the way they base compensation at Sotheby's is so qualitative it's like well the ceo thinks we're gaining market share and he's talking to some good clients out there so we're going to give him a big raise it's like what in their related parties they have a duke in their organization that they pay he's on, he's on the board yeah. yeah a duke a duke from england wales i don't know something is a duke or something and it's like he gives us access to certain events so we pay him a lot of money it's weird all things being equal, what would you rather see out of the companies that you own? Because there are, st- removing it from Sotheby's, there are the two basic approaches you can take as a, as a board. When you get this sort of engagement from an outsider, you can take the route that Apple seemed to take with Carl Icahn, which was, hey, look, we're, we're always open to new ideas, but we're focused on our business, that sort of thing. And it gets back a little bit to the point you were making, David, about the PayPal president tweeting about Icon. He shouldn't be focused on Icon. On the other hand, and I'm not a Sotheby's shareholder, uh, I like the, we're going to take the fight to you. I mean, that's that's kind of feisty. It is feisty. I think, you know, the, the, there's that Shakespearean line about thou doth protest too much in some way. I mean, it's, the fact that Sotheby's has reacted as virulently as they have, I yeah. think, indicates to David's point that there are things there that are let's call them not awesome governance things. <laughs> yes. You know, and, and that's why Dan Loeb showed up. I believe the the, the SEC-approved term is sub-awesome. Sub-awesome <laughs> governance? Yeah. Sub-awesome governance. Um, so I, I, that's, I mean, I, in the case of Apple, it was a much more academic discussion. It was like, oh, what, what's the best use of your excess capital? I mean, it's hard to get too worked up about, too fired up about that. Right. Um, in the case of Sotheby's, it's like you are actively lighting money on fire for your own benefit. Like right. you are you are setting your fire in December at Christmas with shareholder dollars. So that, that I, think kind of a I think there's a flip side too in terms of a board being really angry when an activist attacks them. If a board's really welcoming too, that can be a little bit of a warning sign as well. And when Bill Ackman was talking about what he learned from his failed J.C. Penney experience, he said. Well, one of the warning signs should have been that they were very welcoming of me coming onto their board. They were saying – he was saying, if I see a board that's saying, hey, come help us, that may be a warning sign we're that they don't so know what they're doing. We're so glad you knocked on our door. <laughs> We've got so no idea what's going on. So there's a bit of a balance there in finding a board that's really welcoming and a board that is very hostile when someone approaches them. 
couple of retailers reporting earnings. Pier 1 Imports, fourth quarter, they beat on the top and bottom line. The stock is up a little bit, although that's probably not saying a whole lot, given how the stock has performed over the past year. Bed Bath & Beyond falling. Fourth quarter results came in sort of as expected, but comps were less than 2%, and their guidance for FY14 was weak. And I have to share this quote from one analyst who said, Bed Bath & Beyond appears to be, quote, searching for meaning. Boy, that's tough when you're <laughs> when you're making that comment about what appears to be a pretty straightforward retail proposition that they're searching for meaning. Um, but Tim, you and I were talking a little bit earlier this morning. I, I'm unsurprised by these results just because I don't. Th- we've sort of been seeing this for the last few quarters from basic, average retailers, and I don't think anyone should be expecting a whole lot more than what we're seeing. No, I mean Pier One. Pier One just kind of frankly sucks at this point. (laughs) You know, they've missed the boat on so many things. And just to, for example, I think online sales are 4% of their revenue. Are are you kidding? I mean, what year is it, right? I mean, mean, we all saw a couple weeks ago, I think we were talking about how well Williams-Sonoma did in the fourth quarter. And, you know, they're an unbelievably good omni-channel online direct marketer. And, and that explains they're good. Their stores aren't doing super hot, but they're hanging in there, and the online channel is doing really well. What business that's selling that stuff is running 4% online sales in 2014? It's just that's, – that's embarrassing. Um, secondly, you know, they blamed weather for a lot of weakness in the fourth quarter, which is fair. But somehow or other, the weather of the fourth quarter of 2013 has set back their entire three-year strategic plan a year. <laughs> it was bad weather. It was cold, man. I, are you kidding? <laughs> hey, you don't know what the weather's going to be like over the next three years. Like a month of bad weather has caused you a year delay in your strategic plan? I mean, that to me, that's, that's a warning sign that there are some things wrong at, at that company. In terms of Bed Bath & Beyond, um, their guidance was pretty weak. Um, so they blamed weather as well for some weakness in the fourth quarter. But if they're giving weak guidance in the first quarter, I think the market just has some questions about – you know, is this a secular trend? Is, is Bed Bath & Beyond starting to decline a little bit? Or, you know, was it really just a kind of a one-off weakness? Also, David, you look at Bed Bath & Beyond, which in 2013 had a great year. It was up nearly 45%. But this year, it's... Given I, it all back. It's it's given a lot of it back. It's I, One of the thoughts I had in looking at it was, hey, you know what? Crazy valuations, they're not just for tech stocks. There can be, you know, you don't have to be a, a, a biotech to have some sort of crazy stock run up and your stock is overvalued. And I, I think Jason Moser made this point last quarter when Bed Bath & Beyond reported earnings. Last year, they spent, I think, over a billion dollars on share buybacks. Can they really not find a better place, a better return on their money than buying back their own shares? I mean, talk about trying to build out an online channel. Maybe they should be investing in that. I, I really don't see a compelling reason why Bed Bath & Beyond is going to be a really good business for the next five to ten years. Their balance sheet is not impressive. They don't own any of the land they're on, like a Costco that has a lot of land on their balance sheet. So I'm not interested at all. You can always email us. Radio at fool.com is our email address. Uh, Got a couple of emails, one from Clifford Cotta, who uh, wrote in response to our conversation recently about the Google stock split. He writes, hey, love the show. A lot of talk around the unusual stock split and the reasoning behind it. I think they just don't want the headache of some hedge fund manager dictating strategy. Lots of tech companies in the news lately about that. Tim, uh, you tweeted recently about the Google stock split. You're, you seem to be 
Not a fan. Well, it's just, uh, I think I called it obnoxious. It's just kind of a paperwork nightmare. And, it, you know, for what it accomplishes for them in terms of being able to maintain voting control of their company, even though they, as they give away shares to people, um, I find it shocking that someone who's built a company that large and successful would be worried that at a proxy contest they wouldn't be able to marshal enough votes to stay to stay in control. I mean, what is that? I, it seems odd to have, have done what they did for the purposes of what they're doing. Also, uh, for your colleague, Greg Haygood. Yeah, our, our poor accountant downstairs. Just another <laughs> corporate action to deal with. Stop it already, guys. Give him a break. Uh, last Thursday, we talked about high-frequency trading. Got an email from Bud Turner in Palmdale, California, with the subject line, Bid, Ask, Spread. Bud writes, I'm so glad one of the guys on the show finally enunciated, well, I thought you guys were saying Big Ass Spread. So that's, you know... That only happens in illiquid markets. <laughs> that's that's going to happen. So I'm, I'm glad we cleared that up for him. Um, uh, speaking of which, speaking of the bid-ass spread, uh, one of the reasons to be on Twitter is to follow David Hansen and Tim Hansen. David, you tweeted recently. I had to share this. I never watch it, but I just saw a Fox Business video clip. Why in the world do they constantly flash a stock's bid and ask? They were they were talking about Bank of America and kept flashing the bid and ask. I was like, that's the most traded stock on the market. The spread is not going to be there. I was like, what are you guys doing? It doesn't make any sense. I was going to say, day in and day out, that is among the safest bets you can make in investing is what's going to be the most traded, most uh, active stock. I was like, we're not trading over-the-counter like microcap warrants here. You don't need to give us the spread. Uh, in a recent tweet from Tim Hansen, uh, Tim, you wrote, has anyone ever read a 10K where the industry a company operates in is not, quote, highly competitive? What were you reading? That Because you're right. That's true. Yeah, I, just, I was they reading. They all just, say that. Hey, uh, you know, you get to the risk factor section. Just risk factor, this is a competitive industry. We may not be able to compete always. It's like, well, I think that kind of goes without saying, right? But Do you think Intel writes that? When you look at the market, and I don't mean to pick on Intel, but I'm just off the top of my head, I'm thinking of a dominant industry when it comes oh, yeah. to chip makers. You've got to protect yourself, right? If you start losing market share, you've got to be able to point to your risk factors and say, hey, we told everybody that was possible. Those are, I mean, sometimes those things are good to read, and, and companies actually do, out, do actually call out risks that are interesting and you know, maybe you weren't aware of. But the boilerplate ones like that are sort of are there any that off the top of your head that that leaps out? Because we talk about that sometimes with conference calls. That look, all, pretty much every company that we talk about, they're going to have a quarterly conference call, and and rare is the occasion that news is made. But some of them are entertaining to listen to. I forget who was, was it. Fred Smith from from FedEx? FedEx was he the one who? It was either the CEO, longtime CEO of either FedEx or Southwest Airlines, who. Uh, Talked about how on conference calls he would he would have a little glass of wild turkey during the call. Just I think to, it was Herb Kelleher. Herb right? Kelleher, yeah, 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 I mean, yeah, yeah from Southwest, Southwest. From Southwest Airlines. I don't blame him. I, um, but are there any? Whether it's, the guy from Carbo Ceramics uh, recently told me that he gets fired up for them by listening to heavy metal music in in advance. In advance, of the, yeah, of the call. Wow. Yeah. I see, that was kind of interesting. See, now all of a sudden the Carbo Ceramics conference call is a lot more interesting <laughs> to me now that I know that that's going on. Um, but are there any, whether it's a conference call or a 10K, that you're like, you know what, this one is actually fun to read or more enjoyable to read, more interesting, if only for. Well, the Wynn the Win Resorts conference calls to me are always number one in terms of. Steve Wynn. Yeah, Steve Wynn's the best. You know, he's, he's gotten to the point where he just doesn't 
He's not. He's, yeah, he's not. He's not trying to curry favor with anybody on the call. So that's always refreshing. Uh, Morgan Housel is our guest on the radio show this week. I was talking with him yesterday, among other things, about uh, he, he was in Texas recently as part of the the group from the Motley Fool that went to the Final Four, and they ended up sitting down with T Boone Pickens, and uh, he he shared a couple of things from that meeting. T Boone Pickens sounds like he's sort of in that same mold as Steve Wynn, like. I heard he has really nice legs. That was the takeaway that, that Bill Mann had. From that was day. one of the takeaways mm-hmm. that her that uh, the T Boone uh, Pickens is. What's the definition of nice legs? Like, well, the guy he does muscular? a lot of squats. He does a lot of. That's the thing. The guy's eighty five, and he <laughs> has a pretty a pretty insane workout regimen. Apparently, he said he was up at like five thirty and just squatting away. Yeah, and then threw his leg on the table. Was like, bam! These are the legs of a man who does a lot of squats. Yeah, yeah. Educational, David. Anything from. Uh, the world of 10Ks or conference calls or in the world of banking and financial services that you inhabit, is it all the same? It's a lot of the same, but <laughs> Jamie, Jamie Dimon's always interesting to hear because he doesn't, he's not afraid to just call out an analyst or two when they ask a dumb question. So the, the Q&A on J.P. Morgan's call is always kind of interesting. He's the Bobby Knight of, uh, of banking CEOs. Especially if, especially if his friend Mike Mayo asks a question, he's, he's quick to jump in there. My, uh, my favorite filing moment from this year so far has been with a company called Mercado Libre, which is the online uh, commerce company in Latin America. So they've been having a multi-year issue with trying to get currency out of Venezuela and, and arguing with people about how that currency should be valued since the Bolivar trades at like 17 different exchange rates, depending on where you are and, and who you're trying to trade it with. Talk about a bid-ass spread. Exactly. So they, they were finally told that they could not get their money out of Venezuela, right, as, as the Venezuela currency is just depreciating and depreciating and depreciating. So they revealed that they have taken to uh, now using their bolivars in Venezuela to buy up commercial property mm. <laughs> to store the value. Nice. I was like, and I was like, huh, that is an interesting strategy to cope with that problem. There you go. <laughs> that's one to watch. That's we'll one. see how it turns out. Yeah, that's one of those. I think on the next conference call, it's like, by the way, I know it's not part of your core business, but how's that real estate now going? Our rents in Caracas. <laughs> <laughs> Tim Cap rate on that. <laughs> Uh, you can read more from Tim Hansen. Go to foolfunds.com, sign up for Declarations, the monthly free newsletter, and check out David Hansen on Where the Money Is, the daily podcast. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That does it for today's edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. 